Welcome back. Creating Dementia Solutions is our program. I'm Richard Pyatt. Thanks for being with us. We're here on Access Vision, and we're also a podcast. So however you're finding us, we appreciate you being with us. This is a Miles for Memories program, Creating Solutions for Those Impacted by Dementia in Calhoun County through Movement, Programming, and Research. Connie Skidmore is with us as we've been talking about caregiving in our last episode and this one as well. And uh, you mentioned, Connie, thank you for coming back, by the way. Mm -hmm. uh, You mentioned that uh, there was a point at which in your caregiving, your role changed. That is to say, uh, you were caregiving at home, and then there was a a, a threshold, a a turning point that was reached, and uh, there was an assisted living that became involved. And so your role changed a little bit, didn't it? Maybe you can talk about the point at which that happened and how you understood that it was time for that to happen. I didn't totally understand for myself that it was time for that to happen. But um, I think, as I had mentioned, my husband ended up in the hospital. And in the process of him being in the hospital for several days, the dispatch nurse came to me and said, there's nothing that we can do here. We're going to have to discharge him. But you can't take him home right now because you're really not set up to do this Mm -hmm. and it's going to take you a while to put things in place. So the best thing to do is assisted living. So that was how we ended up with him in assisted living. And I began looking around to see what I would have to do in order to make it comfortable for the both of us at home. And uh, it was a great deal, actually. Mm -hmm. And I knew that it was going to be difficult to do, but I began looking nonetheless. And then several people said, you know that this is just the first step in this. Eventually, this is where you're going to end up anyway. If you uh, take him home successfully, you're going to have to turn around and bring him back eventually, which means you're going to go through this transition twice, and it's difficult enough to do it once. Sure. So as things turned out, it just was best to leave him where he was. So my role then changed in that I became a visitor more than a caregiver, although uh, I did go daily and I spent a lot of time doing little things around the facility because they were kind enough to let me do that. A lot of them probably don't care for that, but this was a smaller place and I think that they welcomed the fact that I learned how to operate the coffee machine and and, uh, that kind of thing. Um, And I would bring him home on Sunday afternoons to have dinner with his sister who would come to visit and his son. But frequently, he would not want to go back, and that just became a little more difficult uh, each time, which made me realize that eventually this had to be the, the situation that we were going to be in at the facility, and I would be the caregiving visitor rather than the total caregiver. Mm-hmm. And maybe his other family members were going to visit him there, too. Yes, yeah. yes. We had a couple of, of good school ch- chums who used to come uh, every couple of weeks or so and visit with him, and, uh, and his son would go visit, so yes. Yeah, so this uh, was a situational transition. That is to say there was a hospitalization, and then I guess what you'd call an intervention, but uh, a, intervention a, professional, is good. Yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. a professional opinion where they've said to you now, this is really the best course of action. Okay. So how do you in your mind as the primary caregiver, then say, okay, I have to look at this clearly and, and, uh, and perhaps without bias, try to, and, and say, 
Is this the right thing? How did you arrive at that? It's a toughie. I think when you get a diagnosis uh, in your life that this is the way, this is what's happening. Uh, as I had mentioned earlier, my grandmother had uh, dementia. Uh, I have known others mm-hmm. who have had it in their family. You know, short of death, the next step has to be uh, another place for them to live. That it's a 24-hour-a-day job. You can't do it on your own and get any sleep, even if you have a good a good team of friends and family who are willing to help. It's just it's just not possible. The time comes and you know, as difficult as it is, that that's what you have to do. Mm-hmm. And then you have to start researching the places that you could house him sure. or her or them. Is it typical to rely on other resources to help make that decision? I imagine it is. I would think it's almost necessity to yeah. rely on other resources to make that. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, this was one of the things that was discussed in the support group that I had talked about earlier, that, that they have this information. And I, and I think that Battle Creek Healthcare System has some pretty good records and solutions and things out there to help with this. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk with Sherry Sherbin as well from Miles for Memories in our coming moments about some of the more uh, technical aspects of this, but kind of your your perspective is really uh, terrific to have for folks to relate to. What would you say to someone who's embarking on this journey now? They, they're, they're caring for a loved one with dementia, and there's all sorts of thoughts about what the eventuality will be and, and the demands that will be placed on them. What do you say to folks who, who want to lean on you for a little advice? There's no right way to do this. There's no such thing as the perfect caregiver, so you're going to make mistakes. And uh, just be prepared for it. Don't be afraid to ask for help, even if you have to force someone to offer it to you mm-hmm. sometimes. And, and, that's, and that's the case fairly often, I would guess. And it's just a, it's a one day at a time, and, and don't be too hard on yourself. And, and uh, remember, they didn't choose this any more than you did, so... And the support group part that you mentioned in our previous episode. To me, that's one of the biggest things. Connie, thank you. We really appreciate your sharing your story with us. Thank you. Sherry Sherbin's with us now, leads the volunteers at Miles for Memories. You know, Connie was talking about the point at which you have to make a decision about where your loved one goes when caregiving is no longer going to take place in the home. Right. There's a lot to consider with that, isn't there? There is. You know, one of those big considerations, once you get past the point of some of those guilts that we go through, and I promised, I promised, and here I am taking a different route because I have to, right? Uh, Sometimes that different route is not necessarily because of where you're at completely for their health and safety, but you also have to consider where you're at as a caregiver. And some caregivers get so exhausted that their risk of complications from being a caregiver for that person living with dementia becomes even greater than the loved one that you're trying to care for. Yes, absolutely. That makes perfect sense. Yeah. So there's a lot of considerations to be made. Sure. Then there's the whole money part, right? Yeah. And as you start to look at it, in Connie's situation, she did what she could to try to care for him at home for as long as she could. Mm -hmm. And she was uh, in a position, I would almost say a lucky position, to be able to make that decision for transition. Uh, And while it may have been 
difficult in a variety of different ways, she had the support to make the decision, which mm-hmm. I think is beneficial. But once you get there, then you go, oh, my goodness, how am I going to pay for this? Even if Connie had chosen to continue to care for Bill at home, she would have had to get to a point where she could not probably physically be the sole caregiver the entire time. And you could get to a point where you're paying for in-home care 24 hours a day. If you get to that point and you're paying upwards of $12,000 a month, it would actually, in some cases, be less costly to move them to a skilled nursing facility. Mm -hmm. Uh, And in some cases, that's that's not an issue for some family members. But in reality, I would dare say, it's probably a big consideration in the lives of a lot of different people. And the sooner you make that decision to move from home into um, providing uh, care by others, the cost experiences are different, right? So if we can make that move at uh, the point at which somebody needs assisted living care uh, with maybe some minor supports, maybe some queuing, uh, those kinds of things, we could get that down to be anywhere around $4,000 a month at a lower end, but more realistically up upwards about $7,000 a month. Again, if that's your disposable income, you're in a great place. Mm -hmm. But even at that point in time, the more individualized care that someone's going to need, the more 24-hour care as we start to transition in that direction, again, you're getting upwards of $11,000, $12,000 a month to provide the care that that individual needs. So if you got it in the bank, that's great. If your loved one has been a veteran, if they were a veteran, there is an aid and attendance uh, benefit that you can take advantage of, providing you meet all the appropriate criteria. There is a, a Medicaid program where, again, meeting all the appropriate criteria, they will be able to support that program. Uh, and in some cases, they will utilize that skilled nursing facility eligible criteria and find other ways to support you in the home. So that is beneficial for individuals, again, who may fall into an age bracket as well as a need bracket, a financial or economic bracket, uh, that they can take advantage of those services. Um, but then we go to that next level. There are employers that do have it as a benefit in terms of helping with some of that long-term care. There's also the individual who may have reached out and started a long-term care insurance policy. Again, there are criteria that you need to meet, and when that person who has that policy meets that criteria, they can utilize that long-term care insurance, and they will pay for whatever it is that they set up in that process, and they're no longer paying the monthly payment towards that long-term care policy. Other folks will be able to bring in a reverse mortgage is one that happens uh, from time to time. There's a lot more stipulations on making that work than there used to be so that it's safer in the long run uh, for the individual who takes advantage of that program. Uh, and, And at some point in time, uh, you know, some folks can get really creative and cash in an IRA, cash in uh, other investments. Maybe they are fortunate enough to have it in the bank. But it's an amount of money that requires a significant dollar. Here's what I'm not hearing. I'm not hearing you say insurance covers this. Right. So I heard you talk about Medicaid and, and some other options, and the rest of it has been all personally financed, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And that is the way it goes. Yeah. True? 
It is. And unless you're in an economic bracket where the government will support you through Medicaid dollars mm-hmm. uh, specifically, so you'll be able to do that. But in order to do that, um, your personal resources need to be diminished to such a point that you are not economically able to contribute. Uh, the one benefit in that program is that if you have a married couple, uh, you can separate assets in half, right? So the one married person can maintain uh, an appropriate amount of um, resources up to half of a certain dollar amount where as the other person has to spend that money down. And they are only able to keep certain assets less than $2,000 in cash. They are allowed to have a vehicle and a home, uh, but that, again, is being utilized uh, by their other loved one at home. So there are ways to work through it, and I would always encourage someone in that situation to reach out to potentially CareWell Services. You're going to want to potentially reach out to a PACE program. Uh, You're going to potentially want to reach out to the VA in Calhoun. We have the Calhoun County Veterans Administration that will help you through that process. Uh, Sometimes an elder law attorney can help you through that process as well. And there are cases where an elder law attorney can help you through the development of appropriate documents, such as a trust, Mm -hmm. uh, to put resources aside for those that still need to benefit from that. And that's really an elder law attorney's uh, part of what they do. So uh, I won't speak to their knowledge, but they're great. And, uh, you know, you want to make sure that you reach out to one that's been serving the community for a long time. Well, as a caregiver, making a decision about taking this next step to a a more, uh, shall we say, professional care for your loved one, all of this comes into play, mm-hmm. not to mention, right, the idea that uh, you may have your own feelings about mm-hmm. that turning point, right. uh, a person who feels as though they need to be the caregiver as long as possible, mm-hmm. and and now they're being told, now is the time, you have all these other decisions to make, plus that feeling that maybe I shouldn't be letting go. This is all tied up in this. It is. You know, one of the things that um, I would encourage people to resemble in terms of the way that Connie was able to do this is, you know, reach out to the facility that your loved one is now living at. How can you be a part of that day no matter what? And, you know, how can you get to a point where, I don't know, you are the person who makes the coffee each and every day. Uh, You are the person who they know is going to be there every Tuesday or every Thursday or whatever the case might be. It allows you to be a part of those things that happen going forward and a comfortable part because you're there on a regular basis. And yet um, you still leave that major uh, caregiving in terms of the health issues that they might also be dealing with to those that are skilled and trained to be able to do that so that your time with your loved one is just time with your loved one. You're not trying to figure out how you're supposed to make sure that, um, you know, they get from the the bed to the wheelchair or uh, dealing with wound care or any of those other complications that come into play. You can just sit down and read to them. It's a different kind of experience. Yeah. Well, I think we've scratch the surface here on this subject and we'll be talking about it more on this program but 
this really does give us some things to think about. So thank you. Yes, and and I would like to at least throw in um, one other thing before we wrap that up. You know, there are programs through Miles for Memories, as an example, that are there and intended to help the at-home caregiver as well. So um, we're in the process of remodeling our respite program to give that caregiver just a bit of relief so that they can do those things that they need to do. Um, It is set up currently as an emergency respite situation. You know, one of the other is engaging in other things you can do at the home, such as utilizing music to provide a level of respite for the individual at home because they're enjoying that and it gives you a moment to do some of the other things that you do. So, um, you know, there are programs that we are developing and enhancing intentionally uh, for that at-home caregiver as well. Well, I'm quite sure we'll talk in depth about some of these things in our future episodes, and we look forward to that. Thank you, Sherry. Thank you. Sherry Shervin, Connie Skidmore, part of our Creating Dementia Solutions program, a program from Miles from Memories here on Access Vision, and a podcast, too. Click the like on the Miles from Memories Facebook page so you're alerted when these episodes are made available. Thanks for joining us. I'm Richard Pyatt. We'll have more episodes coming soon.